Welcome to another installment of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host, Bob Wheeler, and in this episode, we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh, and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks, and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn, and laugh. I'm excited today to have Claudia Choi, who is an actress, a dancer, a pole dancer instructor, a volleyball coach instructor, a writer, a... I want to call you a real estate mogul. I like that. Yeah, yes. you're taking over. <laughs> you're taking over the world one one duplex at a time. So I want to talk about that. And uh, so welcome. It's so great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're gonna like dive into this juicy stuff. You know, one of the things that I love because I've given you no prep time mm-hmm. um, is just really going in and exploring. You know, you're living your passion. I'm yes. hoping that yes. you wanted to be an actress and it wasn't forced. And um, like, but you're making life choices that support that. And you're, I think, doing what you love. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and I just wanted, like, can you tell me, like, how you got into acting? What what made you want to do that? And were your parents excited about that? Okay, so I'm Korean. So the answer <laughs> to that last question was definitely no. Yeah, they were not thrilled. Um, I. Uh, I, I had done acting, and I always, I had always been a big ham, um, and I had acted all through junior high and high school. But um, you know, watching TV in the eighties and nineties, you're you're like, oh, there's no place for an Asian woman on TV unless it's something a little demeaning, or you know, there's maybe one role in a in a thousand. Right. So um, I went to college, and I uh, was sure I was going to be a, an orthopedic surgeon. I uh, had done a bunch of volunteer work in high school, uh, in hospitals, and I just – I loved it. And I uh, – in order to pay my way through school, I was working two jobs and one of them was in the hospital. And the doctors were miserable. They were all overweight, <laughs> smokers, alcoholics, divorced. And they would talk to me. they say, Claudia, whatever you do, don't go into medicine. <laughs> HMOs are ruining it. You'll be paying your, your student loans forever. You'll be miserable. I kept telling them, no, no, this is what I really want to do. So they said, uh, okay, just take a year off because you can always go back to med school. Right. However, if you go now, you're really locked into being a doctor and you never get to do anything else. Right. So after I graduated, I took a year off and I moved uh, to North Carolina. Living was cheap and I got a job as a teacher down there and uh, was really really bored out of my mind. Didn't know anyone, didn't know how to meet anyone. And I saw an, a notice in the local free paper that they were having auditions for a community play. And I auditioned for it, met uh, my good friend Robin there, and she suggested that I meet with her agent. I met with her agent. I got signed. I did like some local commercials, some like uh, professional plays down there. And a year later, moved to New York uh, started working really regularly there, and a couple years after that, moved out to L.A., and I've played a lot of doctors. Wow. But uh, have yet to go back to med school. So no, every once in a while, thinking about a surgery and how fun it would be? No, I do like it, and, and people get bummed out when going to hospitals. I'm always like, I'll, I'll come visit you in the hospital, no problem. My husband was in the hospital um, for an emergency procedure a year ago, and I – it was so funny because, like, I just knew where the ice chips were. I knew where everything was. The smells were all familiar. I'd worked yeah. in hospitals for so long. It felt, I felt very comfortable and very at home. 
That's I don't know if you know Matt Eisman. He's the host for American Ninja Warrior. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he actually finished med school. Oh, shit. And his parents were so happy. And then he said, I want to be a stand-up comic. <laughs> <laughs> so they actually paid for all the med school. But it's worked out well for Matt. Yes. So he's, he's he's doing fine. He's doing he's fine. He's doing fine. But I just – I was thinking about the med school and your parents probably being very sad. Oh, I was the fourth – child and the and we none of us went into any of the professions they wanted us to go into so they're very disappointed parents are they happy now so disappointed i (laughs) is a korean parent ever truly happy (laughs) okay probably but i i think they see that i've made my own way and i'm successful and i've never had to move back home and never ask them for any money so i think you know they've made peace with it that's that's funny so Obviously, not following that dream, which would have been lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, would you say what would you say is like one of the happiest times in your life? And did money pay up? Did money play a part in that? Uh, I I have to say uh, vacations with my husband, marrying my husband, mm-hmm. uh, happiest time in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, money does play a part in the fact that we were able we were able to rent a big house and elope to Hawaii and then go to all the cities we live had lived in and have a little reception everywhere and we had a great time you know we were able to go on a a cycling gourmet tour through the Loire Valley in France uh, but nothing was ever super luxe because I don't think I could ever even if I had all the money mm-hmm. just the way I was raised and mm-hmm. knowing the the importance of every penny. I just don't think I could do it. Mm-hmm. We actually had this conversation um, a few months ago about we were marveling at how happy we are, mm-hmm. um, which I, I know a lot of people are like, screw this bitch. Yeah, but, shut up, uh, get up, get, but get we, sad. We were saying you know how happy we were, and a lot of it is because we we are okay. There's no worry that we're not going to eat, that we don't have the basics, but we don't have absolutely everything we want and there's still things to strive for and to mm-hmm. save for and so you know having a little vacation or something it, it it makes us happy we're able to save for it but it's not something that just falls in our lap right so i i think that there's a balance there that- do you think i mean i i almost think the answer is no because you have korean parents but <laughs> uh did you do you think that that came from them or is that something that you learned on your own um yeah, it's definitely something I learned on my own. My parents were it was it was so strange. They had this business and my dad became um kind of an extravagant spender. Mm. He uh so that's why I had to work two jobs to go through, to go to college cuz they didn't have the money. Um he had I love telling people this story. He had a Mercedes 500 SCL and if wow. you look it up it's this huge boat of a car. Right. And um it was brand new, super expensive. It was six figures back in the late 80s or wow. early 90s. And he loved telling people only two people in all of Indiana owned a Mercedes 500 SCL. Him and Robert Ursay, the owner of the Indianapolis Colts. Oh my god, that's hilarious. And I was like, "Well, great. That's my college education." <laughs> Right I won't there. go to college, but uh... um, so I, you know, he they spent on things like that. I would never, ever spend that kind of money on a car. Um, but I, I saw them, and I, I kind of learned from my mistakes, their mistakes in that way. You know, what was useful to spend on, and what wasn't. Is there any saying that either one of your parents had when you were a child that you now actually parrot or mimic? 
Like oh, uh, <laughs> my mom always when she's just uh, dismissing you or you say something and she doesn't care. Yeah, sure, right. Yeah, yeah, sure, right. Uh, um, I'm like, okay, that doesn't mean anything, and uh, you know, to you, yeah, sure, right. Um, but any sayings, um, I don't know. I feel like I was the fourth of four girls, and they were so dismissive of me. So it was just they didn't like, talk to me we're that not even, much. Don't even yeah. waste our breath. So there was no. Uh, well, you probably learned about hand me downs, um, or did you get new clothes? Well, it was I, first of all, I'm also the largest of all my sisters. They're teeny tiny porcelain dolls. I mean, mm-hmm. you know my sister. She's <laughs> very small. She and is. I um and I was always athletic and taller than all of them. And also I'm six years between me and my closest sister. Oh, so wow. uh there there wasn't a lot of hand me downs to be had. But wow. I outgrew them uh, early Pretty on. Pretty quick. Early on. Yeah. Yes. Third grade you're wearing their high school dresses. Well I, it was <laughs> I I remember – tell me if this is too personal, but I remember in second grade, I uh, like I came out of the shower. It's an all-girls household pretty yeah. much. You know, I came out of the shower and my sister looked at me and she goes, oh my god, we have to get you a bra. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, my sisters still don't have to wear bras. <laughs> they're still waiting. They were just – they were they're like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Um, so your dad was an extravagant spender, but is there any rules or any places where he was like, don't do that or super frugal? Um, where was he? Super? You know, I will say my mom, when every Sunday we would go grocery shopping mm-hmm. and, um, you know, the, the bill would come out or, uh, and, and she would be at the register taking money out of her purse. And she'd always say, ah, money, easy spend, so hard earn. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it is true. I, th- I do think about that. Um, my dad, <sighs> uh, I, I think he uh, he saved a lot of money on his kids. Like he yeah. didn't really uh, like he had these kids who worked for free for him at his restaurant. Smart. And um, and whenever anyone says they want to open a restaurant, I always say, "Have kids. It's free labor." Exactly. Um, but was it a Korean restaurant? Oh no, it was in Indiana, and, oh. and they opened it in the eighties. So we had to go Chinese. <laughs> It was it was really interesting. It was a Chinese restaurant. We had uh, we had Peruvian cooks. We had um, you know Korean owners. Right. Uh, we had a, um, a, a mentally disabled busboy okay. and a gay piano bar wow. attached. It was it was a real so United like Nations. The UN, yeah, it really it's was. just like yeah, UNICEF yeah. <laughs> or the UN. Yeah. Um, did you get an allowance? No, no. But I started working. Um, I started working when I was two years old, peeling shrimp and garlic, um, then folding napkins, and then by the time I was nine, probably uh, seating people at tables, and then when I was ten or eleven, I started waiting tables and getting the money from there. So I was always working. My, my friend, who I uh, from, like my best friend since I was nine, we laugh about our past all the time. She's like, I always remember when I met you. You were like, Oh, I'm so tired. I just had to work a shift, and I thought you were so cool because you already had a job. <laughs> You're working and smoking. <laughs> I was nine years old. Whenever I see a child at their parents' restaurant, like seating me, I always would like look, catch their gaze just for an extra second. You know, it's gonna be okay, sweetheart. You're gonna survive. <laughs> and at least you get free food. Yeah, yeah, I did get right? free food. The Probably food a lot was of Chinese food. The food was damn good. Oh, was, there you go. It was really good. Yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. All right. What's the difference between main difference between Korean food and uh, Chinese food? 
Spices? Uh, it's, I mean, the main difference between French and Italian. It's a whole different culture. A whole you know, different. whole Just, different culture. I mean, also, it, uh, there's a lot of Korean food that is rooted in uh, the very tumultuous history of mm-hmm. Korea. And so um, spam or hot dogs sometimes play a role in dishes. Okay. I mean, that's because that's what the American GIs had, that they would just give away. They didn't want it. So they gave it away ah. to the Korean people. And um, whereas that never happened in China. So you don't see a lot of spam in Chinese food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did your parents uh, pick Indiana? Did it's like... Is that where your dad grew up? Oh, or? no. I, I, my, all my sisters and my parents were born in Korea. I was the only one born to, born in the United States. Um, my parents came over, and my dad um, – I always, always wonder why he left in such a hurry. Um, <laughs> he was in the Korean government, and uh, then he applied for any uh, – the easiest way to get to the United States was – an academic scholarship. Uh, so he applied and he got one to Central State University, which is an, uh, a, a historically black college in Ohio. Got it. <laughs> so he went, let me tell you that your book is hysterical oh because, God. you know, the uh, like the, the camera was set for much darker skin tones and there's my dad. It's just like <laughs> nostrils and eyes. <laughs> It's just so blown out. Um, the exposure is so blown out. So anyway, he um, he went there. So they were in Ohio, and they my mom, as a side hustle, um, she didn't speak a lot of English, and she didn't drive. So she made tofu um, and would sell it to the local organic stores. This was in the 70s at the time. So, you know, tofu was kind of making its its appearance in, right. in the United States, and she would s- sell it um, all over the place. And so um, family lore goes that... Uh, they had some friends who had said, let's start a tofu factory and we can go to Indiana. Land is cheap and they're the second largest producer of soybeans in the United States. So it would be easy to get the soy. So they they uprooted everything, moved to Indiana, and then somehow the deal fell through. Oh, And so there they are in Indiana. They've sold everything. They're, they were really poor. And then my mom has me. So they, you know, my dad was working as an accountant uh, at a local hospital, and my mom, he set up my mom with like a little egg roll and chop suey stand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that started taking off, and they started, you know, putting more and more time into it, and it was making more money. And so finally my dad said, okay, we'll put all our eggs into this this basket. Or egg rolls into or, this or, basket. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, so yeah, they the restaurant kept expanding and getting bigger. And, oh, cool. And, um, and, yeah, so that's – and, you know, there was no way to move anywhere else after that. Right. Yeah. You can't pick – yeah. You can't take it to go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you, what is your first childhood memory around money? Like do you remember when you were like four, somebody gave you a $5 bill? Do you, like, oh, first memory. You were like, ooh, I like this. Around money. Um, I guess, you know, there wasn't a lot of, like, there was never an allowance or, or anything. Um, I, I guess it would probably be, um, around, I, I, and I'm not sure if this is my memory or just that everyone has told me about this, but I guess the restaurant was having problems Uh and, um, we all had piggy banks and, um, and my dad raided all of the piggy banks wow. and I guess all of the bank accounts. And he said, you guys are now shareholders in Choice Walks. Oh. <laughs> and I I was like, mm, this doesn't sound right. <laughs> 
show me the paperwork. Right. I never, <laughs> I never got any dividends or payout from and, that. And you so. never saw any return yeah. on your money. Yeah. I got to wow. check with the SEC about that. Yeah. You might want to, that, that might be a capital <laughs> loss. You could probably finally write off. Um, so growing up with your parents being immigrants and you being the first one born in the U.S., mm-hmm. were there challenges and did you notice that like things were different for you or were they different for you being in Indiana? Um, there was a lot of challenges. I was uh, very often the only minority in any group in in a class. Um, uh, if I was not the only minority, I was definitely the only Asian. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I got a lot of um, you speak such good English <laughs> and uh, where are you from? Um, even I won a writing contest and I met the mayor and he shook my hand in front of the newspaper and he's like, and where were you born? And I looked him straight in the eye and said, Community East, just down the street. <laughs> Ohio, um, <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> it, he's, uh, it, it was it was hard being um, different. And then and, and so that became a lot of my identity that I was the only Asian. And then I went to University of Chicago, which is like 40 or 50 percent Asian. Oh, and you had to share. And it was weird <laughs> that I was like, wait a minute, that this is my identity. Yeah, What's going away, on? Get away. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And what would you say in terms of like acting in, in Hollywood, um, whether New York or whether L.A., was that also a struggle of – not being, you know, the blonde. Well, in um, in New York, I mainly did plays, okay. and um, and there, I feel like at the time, uh, theater, avant garde theater, at least, mm-hmm. was uh, is, was and is much more forgiving yeah. about um, you know about what you look like and who you are, and you can play any role. Whereas uh, when I moved to L.A., the, I at first I did get a lot of. Uh, could you do that again, but maybe an accent? And I'd always say, what kind of accent? Would you like French, Southern, um, Canadian? What kind of accent? And I'd make them squirm. And, um, what's your heritage? Well, I'm from Indiana. So I guess I could do a really broad, flat Indiana accent. And so uh, oh, that's, that's but a lot of that. I get it way less often now. Mm-hmm. It, it's changed in the 20 years I've been acting. It's it's changed remarkably. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's great. Um, and uh, I, I do see us being able to play different roles uh, in commercials. I'm able to be married to not an Asian man sometimes, right. which is, you know, amazing. <laughs> Almost like in real life. Weird, right? Wow. So weird. They mimic each other. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> what was your best, um, what was the best money you ever spent? Uh, purchasing my house, uh, purchasing, I, uh, any of my, ha- all, all of the houses I've mm-hmm. bought have, have made great returns for me, but mm-hmm. I, my very first purchase was in Venice and it was before Venice is the Venice that we know now. Right. The, yeah. The West Hollywood on the beach. And yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I, um, I remember looking and I, I, I was living in Marina del, del Rey at the time. And I remember I was uh, living there with my ex, and mm-hmm. I remember looking at Venice and looking at the map and saying, thinking all these other beach cities have been gentrified, but Venice is still here and and affordable. And he grew, had grown up in Los Angeles and knew Venice's reputation and was like, there's no way I would ever live in Venice. Are you kidding me? So I started doing this thing where I would say, okay, we're going to look at this house. It's um, – you know, it's in Mar Vista, which is right on the edge of Venice. And then he would see places 
And then the next couple of weeks, I'd say, you know, I found this place. It's just over the line in Venice. And then before we knew it, he was only looking at houses in Venice. Hilarious. And then I found uh, I found a place, and I more than doubled my money on it. Mm-hmm. And I, gosh, I probably could have tripled it had I had I been able to hold on to it until yeah. then. But when I split with my ex, we had to sell it. Yeah. But um, I still made great money on on it, and then got to um, you know got to purchase the other investment properties that I have. Mm-hmm. And how did you become like I know you? Mm-hmm. Um, like you're really on top of things like you do your research you like i don't think anybody's gonna uh pull anything by you you know what i mean (laughs) and like real estate is difficult i did it for a little bit Mm -hmm. and you know i realized once i wanted to like hire attack dogs to kill the people that were trying to like uh squat in the building i said oh i gotta get out of this yeah i'm actually thinking bad thoughts yeah so I, i don't have the temperament to do real estate, to be honest. And I know you have a couple of crazy situations, but like, how, like, where did you learn that? And was that just something that you always had? And, um, I, you know, I, sometimes I don't think I have the temperament for anything, but, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I just self-taught and researched the internet is a fabulous thing. And I don't ever just read the first Google page on a search. I read into the There's tens more? and twenties. <laughs> I do a lot of deep diving, deep mm-hmm. research. Um, I, you know, talk to people. Mm-hmm. I ask questions, um, and some of the knowledge was hard won just through uh, just through you know horrible situations that I had to you know figure my way out of. Um, but it, it has served me well. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as temperament, um, I, 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 my husband calls it my spidey sense, but when I Airbnb or when I long-term rent, but I meet everyone. I don't have a management company that that works for me. I, I do everything myself, and I meet people. I definitely want long-term rentals in mm-hmm. most of my properties, and I have to feel good about them. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people that I'm like, this, something doesn't add up about what you're saying and what you're talking about, and this just doesn't feel right. Yeah. Know? Well, that's probably different than – Majority of people in L.A. who are actually not listening because they're busy, busy, like trying to get a position or uh, right. Say the next few lines that are witty. Yeah. Um, So actually listening and because I think that is key to having a good rental property is having a good tenant. Yes. Like somebody just asked me the other day, what can you tell me about rental? I said, the one thing I can tell you Mm -hmm. because the rest of it I did horrible at is making sure that you vet the people living in your building absolutely i actually you know people don't think i'm going to call the numbers that they give (laughs) and you you better believe i check their credit score i call the numbers that they give me i um i insist on talking to the people i i ask them you know have have they been involved in any anything um illegal any illegal activity and you know if right away they burst out laughing they're like no are you kidding me? And then sometimes there's a pause. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Uh, and uh, you know, you, you need to talk to them. Yeah. You, you you have to you have to kind of sit and have a conversation with them. This town is full of con men everywhere, so you, yes. you get a you get a good feeling. Like nobody too slick. Thank you very much. No, that's cool. Well, that's that's cool that you've been just been able to, and you've been methodically building it up. Mm-hmm. You're not like you know some of these people went out. 
several years ago and bought like 20 properties uh, and then they all dropped yeah. in value and everybody lost yeah. everything. But you've been really smart mm-hmm. about it or very mm-hmm. prudent, yes. um, tempered yes. in, in your approach. So I, I don't like to put myself in a, a big risk situation. So yeah. I want to make sure. So the first uh, so the first property I bought was a condo. And then when I sold that, I bought a triplex. Mm-hmm. But I made sure that my other the, – that I was living in one and then the other two uh, rental properties would be able to pay my mortgage. Great. And so I was never in a, a position where I could ever lose it. Even when the price of it, like the, the value of it went down, it didn't bother me any because right. I was still making my mortgage. Right. And then uh, same thing when I bought the next duplex. And, and so I'm never in a position where if, um, you know, the value of the house goes down that I will be in trouble. Okay, cool. So let me ask you this. You're happily married. Yes. And life is really happy. Is. When uh, when you and Ben got married, mm-hmm. did you know each other's financial situation? Um, and did you talk about it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, Ben and I dated in high school and then – Oh, I didn't know – Yeah. God, did I know that? He's great. my first boyfriend. Oh, my God. First boy I ever held hands with. Oh, yeah. wow. He's, um, so we were high school sweethearts and we broke up and then spent a lot of time apart. And I got – we both got married to other people. Um, we We – lived in other cities. And then uh, when we got back together, um, I had already had my triplex and my duplex and I was um, doing pretty well. And he was um, working a hourly job and then had some side gigs, um, you know, just kind of off to the side. And, um, and he had, uh, his first marriage had kind of bankrupted him. It it was a, he was married to somebody, had a joint bank account, was, um, and she was very responsible. So there was that. Plus, um, for a while, he was working um, for himself as an independent contractor Mm -hmm. and then couldn't pay the IRS bill. Mm -hmm. And so he had, was just, building up his credit and had just come out of or I think he had like one more year until he was officially out of bankruptcy right. and he um, was still owed the IRS and I did tell him he was very upfront with me about it um, but I did tell him that I couldn't marry anybody whose finances were in such shambles so we um, you know he really built he worked hard building up his credit and it was you know it was never from his um, from from his carelessness that he was yeah. in bankruptcy it was because he trusted somebody that maybe he shouldn't have. Yeah. And um, so he built up his credit and he paid off the IRS and we, you know, we got married and now he has this great job and um, is, is doing wonderfully and has uh, just as good, if not sometimes better credit than me, but we're both over 800. <laughs> so, you know, there you go. Yeah. That's a nice average. How often do you talk about money with Ben now? Like, do you guys have, a, a weekly meeting? Do you once a month review the numbers? Do you know how much it costs you to run your household? Um, so what he does is he just gives me a check every month that covers like his part of everything. But we have separate bank accounts. Okay. Um, he gives me the check that uh, helps to cover you know, his half of whatever. So he really doesn't pay for anything but his lunches and the stuff that he wants to do. Um, we, uh, I... I buy the groceries and I make dinner on the weeknights. And then when we go out on the weekends, he he buys the food when we go out to eat. 
and that has worked really well on vacations. I do. I love planning. I love the research. I love the planning. Oh so God. I plan everything. <laughs> I you know get the hotels. I you know get oh, the man. flights. But then when we get there, he he rents the car and he pays for like all the food and the stuff while we're there. It okay. seems to work out. Oh, that's cool. And that's it doesn't good. you know we don't nickel and dime things. So he he really trusts me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like doing that stuff. I like paying the bills and knowing where everything is where everything is going and um and he likes just writing that one check and thinking and knowing that someone's going to take care of it. No, that's cool. That's cool. I like that. I thought maybe he was a kept man, but it sounds like he Oh no, he Sounds like he he, does his, <laughs> he, he carries his weight. Well, he's pretty enough he could be a kept man, but There you no. go. <laughs> that's funny. Um do you um are you set for retirement? Um we both have uh retirement savings. Mm-hmm. Uh it, I don't think it's I think it could have been like where, you know, the experts say it should be if I didn't invest in properties. Mm-hmm. But because my properties are worth uh, so much, plus we have, um, you know, income, mm-hmm. passive income from them, mm-hmm. I, I believe we are. I mm-hmm. think we'll we'll be just fine. How many months could you go without either one of you working? Um, let's see. If all our rentals are good – and none of us worked again, we could probably live um, leanly, very leanly, but we could live uh, indefinitely, you know, on on what's coming in. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, no vacations, no eating out, rice and beans. Um, If we want to live at our current um, lifestyle, um, and not touch any of our savings accounts, we could probably live um, a couple of years yeah. without either of us working again. Yeah. And let's say that happened. How long would it take you to panic? Immediately. Like knowing- <laughs> Immediately. I, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't believe that I do what I do for a living right. because it always, as an actor, it always feels like um, after you finish that job that that was your last job. <laughs> right. You're like, well, that's that's it. I'm never working again. I'll never work again. And um and I can't believe I put myself in that position knowing how much I've always liked a steady source of income. But, but that's uh, precisely why I invested in real estate because I found that was, you know, I thought that was the easiest way to create that income um even when I wasn't working. No, that's yeah. Well, that's see, that's the hard for me. That's the hardest part in the entertainment world is it's there's no security yeah. in a way, right? You're doing what you love, mm-hmm. and there's no guarantees. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantees in other stuff either, and you get to be guaranteed to be miserable. I think some people um, working in little cubicles, Ugh. but that part about I think because my mom was an artist and never seemed to get her finances together, mm. I was just always I was as much as I was drawn to the arts, I thought. I just can't live broke. Yeah. It's it just, you know, early yeah. on, I'm like, I will not be poor. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, everybody has a different imprint from childhood. Um, now you're talking about your dad having a really nice car. Um, is it important to you to have a nice car? No. No, I've driven some real jalopies and I like to drive it to the wheels fall off. <laughs> um, the only, the, the, I, so I have a relatively new car. I have an electric car, and um, I, 
I actually sold a car that was still in perfect working order, which I couldn't believe. Yes, it was over 10 years old. Right. But, um, I, you know, it was – it was way fancier than the car I had before because the car I had before um, had the manual roll-down windows, and it didn't even have a clock. Mm-hmm. It you could, there was space for the clock, but it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't a fancy enough version to have a clock. And so um, when my husband bought his new car, I, he just passed his old one down to me, and I was like, oh, "Electric locks? A clock? What, what kind of luxury is this?" But um, I always knew I wanted an electric car before the tax credit ran out. Right. Um, I had been on the wait list for Tesla. They had hit their 200,000 car mark. And so they were getting increasingly less tax incentives. Um, My friend had an ionic electric vehicle. And I had test driven all of them, but I had not test driven that when I asked her how she liked it. She said she loved it. Um, I went to a dealer just to test drive it since I had test drive, drove, driven all the others. And I loved it so much. And the warranty was so good. And um, it just made financial sense in the end how much I would get back in taxes from state and federal. The fact that I could use the carpool lane in a lot of places you know, to get me from one place to another in a hurry – um, and the fact that I would be saving so much on maintenance on the car and gas. Mm-hmm. So in the end, that that was the reason I bought it. And I think it was a really sound financial decision. Yeah. Um, and uh, but I like I'm going to drive this till the wheels fall off again. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it runs out of electricity. Well, you know, <laughs> it, with Hyundai Ionics, um, you get you, they guarantee they, – they have a warranty on that battery for a lifetime if you are the original owner. Oh, wow. And my brother-in-law always jokes around. He's like, oh, they you know they don't know what they got into with you, Claudia. <laughs> you know, other people sell on their cars after two years. He's like, I know you. You're going to have that in 30, 30 years. years now, yeah, you're you're be like, Give me my battery. <laughs> and I will. You will. <laughs> I believe it. You believe I have it. the paperwork. You do have the paperwork. <laughs> I believe it. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a tip or a trick um, – that uh, you use in your financial decision making that you could share with people like, you know, I never buy on sale or I mm-hmm. like, do you have a little. That sounds like a terrible tip. Well, never buy on sale. Well, you know, <laughs> I never buy anything full price. Are you okay, kidding me? You um, but I uh, oh, if you're buying real estate, I always look for the property itself to have something that nothing that you can't get other places. So it might be a great house, but it's just on a whatever street. Um, so my property in Venice was close to the beach. You know, you, right. you can't buy that unless you buy by the beach. Right. Um, my properties in Echo Park are close to Elysian Park. Nice. Um, the triplex is right on Elysian Park mm. and it, it has a million dollar views of the entire city. Amazing. Wow. Um, my property up in Lake Gregory is a, a very short walk to the um, walk to the lake, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's got a lot of parking, which is very odd for that that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, you only get one or two spaces, um, so uh, you have to find something unique about it, not just like, oh, I love the doors and the hardware, because you can switch that anytime, but right. you can't move a house to the park. You right. know? No, exactly. All right. Well, that is good advice. Well, we're getting close, so I, I want to ask you one last question. Um, what would you tell a younger version of yourself, mm-hmm. knowing what you know now, mm-hmm. what, what would you tell her? 
Oh, what would I tell myself? A uh, younger version of myself, I would say um, uh, it's going to get better mm-hmm. because I think right now is is my happiest times in my life and that um, just like don't panic so much. You will work again. <laughs> you will work again. You may not be a doctor. Yes. <laughs> but, but you, you will, will play one on TV. You'll play one on TV. <laughs> so – well, it's so been it's been great having you here. Where can people find you, Claudia? Well, um, if you would like to play volleyball, I um, or your kids play volleyball, I am a coach at San Gabriel High School, and I run a volleyball league downtown, the Los Angeles Athletic Club. If you want to learn pole dancing, I teach pole dancing at Elements Dance Space in Pasadena. And if you want to see me on TV, um, I, the, I'm in the new season of baskets that's uh, going to start pretty soon. I am in, um, I was just in the season finale of This Is Us. I I was in um, one of the last few episodes of Big Bang Theory. Sneaky Pete? And I, Sneaky, the third season of Sneaky Pete just dropped on Amazon Prime and I'm on that. And I am also in the um, new series Grand Hotel, which will be this summer on ABC. All right. And can people find you on Facebook or social media? Yes, I'm at ClaudiaChoi.com. And um, uh, and I keep my uh, social media on lockdown. So There you go. <laughs> you uh, can't see me unless you're my friend. All right. Well, there you go. Well, Claudia, it's been so wonderful to have you here and for sharing stuff and sharing stuff about Ben. So thank you, Ben. <laughs> um, so don't forget to share the laughs. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. Um, and you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Uh, For more stories, podcast episodes, financial tools, and upcoming seminars, be sure to visit The Money Nerve. Please give us a rating on this podcast if you get the chance and let everybody you know know about us. Uh, And if you're really bored and you're in Los Angeles, please come and check out the world-famous Comedy Store where we've got comedy seven nights a week, 365 days a year. Until next time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.